0: Well, we're in the middle of a series entitled Five to Thrive. If you will take these five areas, learn to do them consistently and faithfully, you will thrive in your walk with God. The five areas that we are considering are Bible, prayer, church, giving, and witnessing. Witnessing. We've already discussed the need for the Bible and prayer in our daily walk with God. Today, we're going to consider the need for church in order to thrive in our Christian life. I've said this each week in this series. There is no way to exhaust one of these areas in one week. It's hard to even find a text. I am hoping just to provoke thought hopefully encourage you to strengthen any of the areas that you might be lacking in. And I was actually shocked at how difficult it was for me personally to prepare a generic sermon after spending five years in John. How do you, how do you choose just one verse? Well, would you take your Bibles, please, and join me in Acts chapter 22. I want to give you a principle today. I've given this point several times in passing throughout my years of being pastor, but if you get a hold of this principle, it's going to help you immensely in this area of church and thriving. For some, this is merely going to be a reminder for others. It may be the first time you've heard this application. I want to give you just a quick background so you understand where we are at here in our text. Paul had formerly been westward spreading the gospel. He's come back east. He's now in Jerusalem. Long story short, Paul was at the temple. Some Jews which had seen and known Paul while he was in Asia, which probably when he was in Ephesus, they saw him at the temple and they stirred up the people, and they caused a riot. They said, this man, Paul, he's been polluting the temple because he's been allowing Greeks to come into the temple where they weren't allowed. There was an outer court for the Gentiles, but if you went past that, that was considered polluting the temple. And they said, Paul's been bringing in Trophimus of Ephesus into the temple. And that's why I think these particular, this particular group probably came from Ephesus. Well, it incited such a furious response that the mob, it quickly formed, and they laid hands on Paul. They began to beat him. The city was in an uproar. The Bible says they were about to kill Paul. When the chief captain of the, or a captain of the guard, he comes riding in. Maybe he didn't ride in, but he comes in. Amen, and he rescues Paul from this beating. Then the chief captain allowed Paul to address the people. Paul gives his testimony of his conversion and his calling in verses 3 through 21 of Acts chapter 22. But for this message today, let's just read verses 3 through 8. This is part of Paul's response to the mob that wanted him dead. I am verily a man which am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous towards God as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that, as I made my journey, and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell into the ground, and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered and said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Before Paul was the apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was the son of a Pharisee. He himself was a rising star within the sect of the Pharisees. He had the pedigree. He had the right schooling. He had a stellar resume in Judaism. All the right boxes were checked. While Jesus was still on this earth, he had forewarned his disciples in John 16 2 that the time was coming that whosoever killeth you will think he doeth God service. Saul was so zealous that he became one of those that Jesus was warning about. He believed he was doing God's service by rounding up Christians and having them put to death. While giving his testimony to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, Paul said, I verily thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He went on to say to King Agrippa, And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. He told them that he would shut the saints up in prison. And when their case was to be heard, he would testify against them in hopes that they would be put to death. Notice verse 4 again here in our text. And I persecuted this way unto death binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And from verse 5 and other passages in the New Testament, we learn Saul received this authority from the Jewish council. Hold your place here, please, in Acts 22 and go to Acts chapter 8. It's very important that we understand that the persecution that's being spoken of here is Saul's persecution against the church. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And Saul was consenting unto his death. That would be the death of Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. We see that there was a great persecution against the church in verse 1. In verse 3, we see how Paul made havoc of the church. Both are referring to the church in Jerusalem. Now what is a church? The Greek word for church means a called out assembly. The Bible says we have been called into the grace of Christ. To be called into, we must have been somewhere else. The Bible tells us that we have been called unto His kingdom and glory. And that we have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. So we understand then that a church is not this building, but that a church is the people who have come out from the world to be separated. Liberty Baptist Tabernacle is not 1515 Space Avenue, but Liberty Baptist Tabernacle is the people. To be technical, we wouldn't say, I'm going to church but we would say, I'm going to gather with the church. We have been called out to assemble. Therefore, when the Bible says that Saul was persecuting the church, he was against the believers who were assembled together. But a church is defined by more than being a people assembled. The Bible is clear that a church is the body of Christ. Colossians 1.18 speaking of Christ says and he is the head of the body the church Colossians 1.24 speaking of Christ's body says for his body's sake which is the church so a church a called out assembly it is the body of Christ where Christ is the head Amen. he's in charge of this church And with that being understood, go back to Acts chapter 28 and let's go to where we left off. We we see Paul was a persecutor of the church in verse 4 and 5 and in verse 6 we begin to get the testimony of Saul's conversion while on the road to Damascus. Let's read verses 6 through 8 again. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell into the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom thou persecutest. So we see the Lord shows up and he asks Saul a question. Why are you persecuting me? In verse 8, Jesus says, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom thou persecutest. Now, this absolutely amazes me. Jesus had already ascended back into heaven at this point. I don't have time to establish this, but I personally believe that at this point, it's likely three and a half years after Jesus' ascension. Regardless, Jesus is no longer on the earth physically when Saul was persecuting the church. How is it then that Saul could be persecuting Jesus when Jesus wasn't even walking the earth. It's because the church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the church. Therefore, Jesus doesn't ask Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Doesn't even say, why are you persecuting my church? Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus was letting Saul know, what you do to the church, you're doing to me. Treatment of the church is treatment of Christ. Last year as COVID-19 began, the, the whole hysteria surrounding that began. That which took place after the initial impact Leaders in our government at all levels, throughout all states, began to debate what is essential. And it was goofy because different states had different things. In one state, you could still be a florist and be open. This debate on what was essential, and and listen, I'm not talking about that initial 15-day period where everybody was just trying to do the right thing and there was a lot of uncertainty. We didn't really know what was going to happen. I'm not talking about that 15 days to slow the spread point. But all that, that happened in the months to follow. Now listen, it's no easy task to sit down and try to establish what is essential. What is non-essential? You may think it's easy, but listen, it's it's based upon the eye of the beholder. It's too subjective. What is essential to one may be non-essential to another. For example... All over it was determined that dining in was non-essential. We can understand why that decision was made. But you try to convince that single mother who's trying to make ends meet off of waiting tables that it's non-essential. You see, to determine what is essential and non-essential, it's a hard thing to do. It wasn't essential that I went out to eat, but listen to that waitress that needed that money. It was essential. And we could give example after example like this. Included in that debate was whether or not churches were essential. Now, we were very blessed here in Rapid City. Our constitutional rights were never infringed upon. By the grace of God, not a brag point, but by the grace of God, we were able to keep our doors open. Anybody that wanted to attend could attend. Just to be clear, I wasn't against any pastor that made the decision to close. Not early on. Every pastor needs to do what's right by God. How is the Lord leading that church? You may be wondering, well, how could the same Lord lead two Christians to two different outcomes? Great question. How could it be when we have the Bible that says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together? I believe many factors can play into such a serious decision. Perhaps a congregation is mostly made up of those who are more susceptible to serious complications. Maybe it's it's an older congregation. There's no doubt that COVID's been harder on the elderly than it has the young. That might be something that had to be taken into consideration. Different congregations are on different levels spiritually. Spiritually a brand new church plant is likely not to have a core of people that are going to say, we're here. Maybe some local factors need to be taken into consideration as well. Misinformation can be a big factor. We've always operated here at Liberty, which I inherited from this man, this, this idea. You are more than capable to make the decision that is best for your family. And you don't need government or a pastor controlling your life telling you where you can and can't go. Yeah, that's a big amen statement. Because if you want a pastor to Lord over you, I'm not that guy. Dads, husbands, you're the priest of your home. You do what's right for your home. And there's no hard feelings. But I know this. No pastor no true pastor took that decision lightly. Amen. Whether they closed or stayed open, nobody took that lightly. Someone got very upset with me and asked, are you really willing to keep the doors of this church open knowing that somebody could get sick and die? It really wasn't a question. It was you're insane for even thinking about keeping this church open. Now, when somebody looks at you from your your fold and they say, are you really willing to let somebody die over having church? That's a lot of pressure. I was joking with Brother Long once. And I said, Brother, I don't know if you've ever led a church through a pandemic before. Meaning it's not fun in any way whatsoever. It was during this time we saw how many of the leaders in this nation put no real importance upon church gathering. Now, this certainly isn't surprising and wasn't surprising given the direction that our country was heading before COVID-19. But the hypocrisy that we saw after those those decisions was alarming to me. Churches were being told they could not assemble because it would pose too great of a health risk, and yet protesters into the tens of thousands could gather together in the streets, chanting and marching, and yet that wasn't a health risk. In some cases, the same governmental leaders were in favor of the protests and marching with them while out of the other side of their mouth saying, don't go to church. Now, free religious exercise and freedom to assemble peaceably are both supposed to be protected by the First Amendment to our United States Constitution. But the actions of those making the decisions made it clear they do not believe that both rights should be on equal level. It got so insane in California that some areas were telling churches they should discontinue indoor singing. Indoor attendance was limited to 25% of building capacity or... maximum of 100 whichever would be lower now some of those churches in California run well into the thousands and you're going to tell a church that has the capacity at 25 percent to run far more than 100 that you can only have 100 Nevada imposed even tighter restrictions on churches they limited attendance to just 50 people no matter the size of the building meanwhile bars casinos amusement parks could operate at 50 percent capacity Even drive-in church services were being shut down in places of this nation. We saw how places like liquor stores, marijuana dispensaries, and strip clubs were being considered essential while churches were not. And listen, believe it or not, I'm trying real hard not to go there this morning. But where did the government get the audacity to look at the church and tell us what we can and can't do? Last I checked, the First Amendment says the government shall establish No law to prohibit the free exercise of religion. But we watched as leaders across this land trampled the Constitution that they swore to uphold. Churches were being told they were better off to go virtual. But were the protesters told to go virtual? Of course they weren't. Why? Because it's understood you cannot have an effective protest online. (laughs) Listen, if a protest is going to be successful, they need protesters to be assembled together. (laughs) Likewise, church services cannot be conducted with the same effectiveness over the Internet as they are when we are all gathered together in one place as God intends us to be. But remember, how the church is treated is how Christ is treated. Therefore, in those areas in our nation where it was deemed church wasn't essential, which, by the way, included the Custer city limits in Custer County just south of here, they were essentially saying Christ is not essential. That's how Christ would have seen it. Because what you do to me, Saul, or what you do to the church, Saul, you are doing to me. Yeah. Yeah. What you did to the church, city limits of Custer, yeah. you did to me. Yeah. Not one church resisted within the city limits. A large swath of our nation was saying church was non-essential. And listen, many of those people that were saying church was non-essential were people that said they were in a church who said they were believers in Christ. I had believers blessing me out. People passing by on the street chewing me out. Because we dared to say, church is essential. It's amazing how jobs were essential. But church wasn't. Like somehow magically you're not going to get sick at work, but you'll get sick in church. And I remember saying when all of that went down, and some of you will remember this, but I remember saying, I know now why we don't see revival. It wasn't even important enough to fight for. And Jesus is saying, fine, if you don't want the church, then you don't want me. Why am I going to send revival to a group of people that can't even decide that church is essential for the child of God? Amen. When it comes to five to thrive, the church is essential. Yes. Amen. In the simplest of terms, we can define essential as something which is absolutely necessary. Now, is the determination on whether or not church is essential, is that something that is subjective or objective? And who gets to make the determination Many believe church is not essential. We know this to be true by the comments that we hear. I can worship God anywhere. Wow, you're a brilliant theologian. Okay, I'm getting snarky, I'm sorry. I can worship God anywhere. Church just wants your money, church is just full of hypocrites. I don't need church to be saved. Well, a lot of that's true. There are hypocrites in the church. We do need money to pay the bills. You can worship God out in the woods. You probably don't know what true worship is if you're saying that, but you you can. True worship is on your face before God. That's why I took worship service off of our website. None of us are hitting our face. Others have very legitimate reasons on why church is non essential to them. Physical and/ or sexual abuse within the church. It's hard to look at somebody who church leader molested and tell them, "You need to be in church." Abuses of power in the church, unbiblical church discipline. I know a lot of situations like these where I'm amazed that the person is even in church at all. but we must always allow the Word of God to be our authority on the matter of what is deemed essential and non-essential. Not our personal opinions and not even our past mistreatments as hard and as difficult as that may be. Yes, there are rotten so-called churches out there. But according to the Bible, church is essential. Amen. Listen to Acts twenty twenty-eight. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which He hath purchased. With his own blood, Jesus bled and died to establish the church. You tell me whether or not Jesus thinks church is essential. Let me ask you this: if salvation is salvation through Christ essential for you to fellowship with him? Well, of course it is, because if we're lost, can two walk together, except they be agreed? Amos 3:3 ask? No. So therefore, we would sit here and say salvation is necessary for us to be in fellowship with God, to be in a right relationship with God, and we would say it's important because our salvation was purchased by the blood of Christ. And yet, there are believers who will say, yes, I know I'm bought by the blood of Christ, that's why my salvation is important, but I don't need church in my life. Whoa, wait just a minute. The Bible says that the church has been purchased by that same blood. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, These things write I unto you, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. There There are most definitely churches in name only out there. There are organizations that are not Christian, but they're grouped in with Christians. So you can have name church on the church sign. It doesn't make it the church of the living God. But I want you to understand there are still great churches out there. I believe we're one of them. Now, I'm careful with that because you cannot get to this point where you lift yourself up and you say, there's none else like us. God will smack you down. But I'm just simply trying to encourage you. Listen, I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe we were on the right track doctrinally and so forth. There are good churches out there. However, we are a dying breed. It has come to the point where you need to be willing to move if it means being in the right kind of church. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. When a church truly belongs to the living God, it is where the truth of God's word, it is supported. We didn't come up with the word of God, but we are the pillar of God's word. The word of God was committed to the church. It is from the church where truth is published. It is where we proclaim truth. It is where truth is upheld. So is church essential? And get this, the church is the manifestation of the fullness of Christ upon this earth. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him that is in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So in Christ's person was all this fullness of God. That fullness is now represented through the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says that God hath put all things under His feet, speaking of Christ, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. We are the manifestation of Christ upon this earth. His fullness is church essential. God clearly says that it is. But from a practical stand, standpoint, how is church essential to you for you to thrive in your walk with God? According to Ephesians 4:11, Christ gifted the church with pastors and teachers. Why? Ephesians 4:12 through 16 says for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Christ gave pastors and teachers to the church, not to individuals. Pastors are over flocks. Local called out assemblies. Therefore, God has deemed church essential for your perfecting, or your maturing unto the measure and fullness of Christ. The church is how God has designed children of God to grow up. It, It is here where we are brought into unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. This is where we are edified, we are built up. Therefore, it is through our local church that we become established. It is through being grounded in a good church that we stop being tossed to and fro like children who are deceived by false doctrine from false teachers. Is church essential for the believer? Yes. Psalm ninety-two thirteen: Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Now, if you happen to be one that still feels church is not essential, then you are saying to Christ that His gifts to the church are of no value. You are saying that you can maintain a healthy walk with God without His gifts to the church. And speaking of gifts, how about your personal gifts that God has gifted you with in Christ? Guess who those gifts are primarily intended for? The church. That's right. And guess where those gifts are meant to be exercised primarily? Amen. In the church. Amen. Romans 12, 5 and 6. So we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. We're many members, make up one body, because all these different members have different gifts and functions. You cannot read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 without drawing the conclusion that believers have been gifted by God for the benefit of the church body. Amen. I want you to listen to this passage in 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Amen. You want gifts? Great. You want to excel in those gifts? Great. You know where you need to use them? In the church so that it can be edified. The Bible is clear that church is essential for you and that you are essential for the church. Amen. Then why would you want to forsake the assembling of the saints? I'll I'll close this down and I'm sorry if this has come across disjointed. It's hard to do one message on them. There's so much we could get into, but without a doubt, church is essential. The church is Christ's body. We didn't get into it, but the church is the bride of Christ. The church has been purchased by the blood of Christ. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. It's been gifted by Christ for our growth and maturity. And you've been gifted to serve the church. And just as the tabernacle in the Old Testament was placed in the very center of the camp, so church ought to be at the very center of your life. But too many people let church revolve around their life instead of their life revolving around the church. And only when it's convenient or it comes into our view, we say, let's go to church today. Dare I say, let's go to church tonight. You're letting church revolve around you. That's not how God's designed it. Here's something to consider. I know i got to close Out of the five to thrive, this is the only one that everybody can see clearly. I can't see your Bible reading. I can't see your prayer life. I don't know if you're witnessing throughout the week. I choose not to look at who gives and who doesn't. I don't have a clue who gives and who doesn't. So this one area of church that everybody can see, what example are you setting for others to follow? Now, I'll conclude with this. I am thankful for every one of you who attend here. Do you hear me? I just want to give you my heart. I count it a huge blessing that you attend here. There's no shortage of options in this town. It humbles me that you would entrust such a vital part of your walk with God to this church. And it truly is an honor to minister to you and your family. I do not take this responsibility lightly. And I want you to know there are no second-class church folks here. I love you all the same. But can I just encourage you? If you can be here for the other services, be here. I'm not being ugly. I'm not coming down. We all are at different stages of growth. There was a time where I barely went, there was a time when I went, only Sunday morning, there was a time I went too, there was a time I started going to all. We're all at different places and growth and all that. But I want to encourage you to step it up in church. You say, that'll make me a wacko. <laughs> That's right. Is church essential? Yeah. yeah. Let's pray.